Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. .info. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Nicholas Kuzmich, and we're going to talk about Facebook ad strategy and a new approach in this very competitive world of Facebook ads. You're going to absolutely love it. By the way, you can tag me on Instagram at Stelzner, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com if you want to reach out to me directly. And if you're new to this podcast, hit that subscribe button. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found an amazing audio slash text editing tool. Tell me more. (laughs) So this is called Descript. And what it does is you upload your audio file, like say a podcast or a video for that matter. And then it gives you a transcription, but it doesn't stop there. Then you can go into the transcription and delete certain words or whole sentences, and it will, vice versa, delete that out of the video or out of the audio. And if you delete that part out of the audio, the text will disappear. So it's like an, a text-based audio and video editor. Oh, interesting. So if somebody said something and you want to edit it out, you can just literally locate the exact part of what they said, highlight it, and then it cuts it. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yep, that's exactly right. And it produces audio and or video from the recording? Yes. So is it just uploading audio or video or is it you have to capture it with the app? No, you don't have to capture it with the app. You can either upload it to the the web base or you can download the app and use it that way. But it's basically audio and video editing in text mode. Is it similar to what we see inside of Adobe Audition where you see those, you know, graphs and stuff with the audio or is it not quite that? It's just you're selecting words. Uh, you see both at the same time, actually. Oh, really? Okay. You can see the waveform of the audio as well as the video and or you can see the text that correlates to it. Hmm. And you can then either, whichever mode you choose to go to editing wise or both, you can kind of do a hybrid where, oh, you know what? I scanned through the document and I could see that right here they said, um, a lot. I can just copy and cut the ums and boom, it disappears from the audio or video recording. Is this desktop or mobile? It is desktop. Perfect. So where do we find this thing? So it's really easy to find. You can just go to Descript.com, D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T.com. And does it cost anything? There is a cost, but there is a free plan that is basically the basic plan that gives you uh, the ability to upload 
unlimited and have unlimited collaborators and then you pay like a really small fee for transcription past a certain amount. And then there's other tiers like a producer tier and a higher up team tier, but there's a free plan to check it out. And just as a reminder, folks, none of these apps that Eric mentioned are apps that were paid. They didn't pay in any way. There's no commission for us. Eric just finds these crazy things <laughs> yes, <laughs> and brings them to us every week. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for my interview with Nicholas Kuzmich. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Nicholas Kuzmich. If you don't know who Nicholas is, he is a Facebook ads strategist and author of Give, the ultimate guide to using Facebook advertising to generate more leads, more clients, and massive ROI. His agency is H2H Media Group. He helps marketers scale their ads results, and his podcast is Accelerated Results. Nicholas, welcome back to the show. Uh, Michael, it's an absolute pressure. I've been waiting for this for a long, long time, so I'm glad I get to uh, sit with you here and have some discussions. I'm very excited about this. So today, Nicholas and I are going to explore Facebook ads and really how they've changed over the last few years and why marketers need to change up their strategy. So let's start with what has changed over the last couple of years with Facebook ads and maybe why. Yeah. So if anyone is doing any sort of advertising on Facebook, I mean, I think the number one sentiment that I hear across the board is, oh, it's such a pain because everything is always changing, whether that's algorithm changes, whether that's platform changes, whether that's rules and terms and services changes, policy changes. So the short answer is everything is changing. But I think for the sake of our conversation, I think it's almost less to do about what's changing on Facebook and more about how users are experiencing the platform. Mm. So what I mean by that is, you know, on the one hand, let's rewind seven years, for example, a lot of less traffic, a lot of less uh, stuff going on. I mean, you could target someone, you could tell them, come over to my website and buy something. And if the message to market match was good, you'd get a great result. CPAs were good. Everyone was happy. I mean, everyone was raving about how easy it was to make stuff happen on Facebook. But now there's changes in that there's more people using the platform. More changes means less real estate on the platform, i.e. the newsfeed. It also also means with more people using the platform and all this other stuff going on that it's getting busier. So as an advertiser, now it's harder to capture attention. It's harder to consume, you know, information. 
buyers are less trustworthy right now. So whereas before, if you were kind of one of the top leaders or even not, if you were an up and comer and your brand wasn't even that well established, you could still get away with selling a whole ton of stuff very easily. Now with, you know, user trust being at a bare minimum, people don't trust anybody. People have been duped and all sorts of stuff. And then even Facebook's own, you know, issue with Cambridge Analytica and all that stuff. The trust factor has gone way, way down. So what essentially this means in short, and we could dive into this much deeper, however you'd like, Michael, but in, in short, things are getting more and more difficult because of the changes internally on Facebook and having to stay up to date with all the changes that are happening and because of all the external changes about how people are interacting with the platform, their trust levels. The fact that it's a lot of competition right now means that you have to be constantly sharpening your sword. Otherwise, you're going to get left behind as a, as a business owner, as an advertiser. Well, I recently heard uh, Mark Zuckerberg did one of his internal meetings publicly within the last couple of months. And I think he asked the question, how many advertisers do we have? And I think the answer was 7 million. So there's 7 million businesses on Facebook competing for limited real estate, right? Most of those consumers are no longer just on desktop. As a matter of fact, my guess is almost all of them are on mobile. I don't know. Have you heard any data on that at all? Well, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it is true. I mean, if you go even into the ads platform and you select, you know, distribute my ad to desktop and mobile, uh, by far, you'll see 90% of your impressions hit the hit mobile. Um, and that's just because that's where the people are. So there's that. And then I know we were talking about this another day, but the idea that, you know, even consumer behavior. And what I mean by that is, you know, if we rewind five to seven years, they, whoever they are, and we'd have to look up the consumer data. I did read this somewhere that an average consumer needed, you know, up to 16 touch points before making a buying decision. You rewind a few more, you know, just, just a couple of years ago. Now that jumped up to like 2022. And now those same studies are saying that a consumer needs up to 33 touch points before making a buying decision. That's so crazy. with the number of advertisers out there, plus the consumers needing more and more points of contact before ever saying yes to your product or service. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very interesting place to play. Well, and the advertisements themselves have changed a lot over the last few years. Have they not the options, the placements, that kind of stuff? Just about everything, right? So the options that you can choose, the placements, and, and somewhat can be quite overwhelming because you can have like static ads, video ads, you can have carousel ads, you can have images in one shape versus another shape. You can choose where they go, when they go, how they go. You know, there's limitations as to what you can share. Now the stories platform has been released on both Instagram and Facebook, and that changed the game because how one interacts with stories is very different, how with one interacts on the newsfeed, which is very different how, you know, one interacts on Instagram versus Facebook with messages ads. So yes, they're uh, it, on the one hand, I think it's a very good thing. It means Facebook is always evolving. They are understanding user behavior. I mean, if you rewind however many years ago now it was, Facebook noticed that images is worse at, and so they placed the bid to buy Instagram and they were successful in that. Facebook noticed then that, you know, messaging or, or messaging, instant messenger type things were hot. And so they ended up buying the WhatsApp property and really doubling down on their messenger platform. And that's, you know, the advent of bots and all this kind of stuff. So so it's encouraging from the perspective of Facebook is realizing that consumers behave different ways and they're not falling behind on those trends. But on the other hand, it does mean, again, as a business owner or an advertiser, that one needs to stay sharp without being distracted by all the new bells and whistles that come out with the next you know, rendition of the ads platform. Well, and if we look into the future, privacy, Mark Zuckerberg has said, is going to be a big part of his future, the private messaging side of things, particularly with Messenger, which kind of implies... Right something that 
most of us might have known, but maybe never said publicly that Messenger has been reading our messages and has <laughs> been targeting us based on what we talk about. And now that's going to disappear, which means that it's going to be a little harder for Facebook to determine what you're interested in. I think that's why they're pushing so hard in groups so that they can get those private dialogues going on in groups so that they can ultimately target. But with privacy becoming so important, not just for Facebook, but for consumers and even the way some of the pixels are working, right? They're making right. it a little harder for marketers to target and retarget people if they mostly as a result of some of the stuff that came out of Cambridge Analytica is my guess, right? So that's going to make it harder for us down the road as well, isn't it? Yeah. And I do like to like reframe this idea of harder, harder for us who've been born and raised in the internet age where marketing was extremely easy, right? When Facebook right. first came out years ago, I remember like you could literally put up an image of anything, say anything you want. It was the wild, wild west. There were no restrictions on what you could say, what you could show for the most part. And things, you know, went crazy. And, and you know, you hear of all these like a multi-million internet internet dollar min millionaires. Like it was just, it was ridiculous. And, and then there came the advent of, you know, where you could, the Teespring era, where you could put someone's last name on a t-shirt and show that ad exactly to the people who had that last name and they'd mm. sell like wildfire. But oftentimes I'm reminded when I go into some, some of my masterminds or some circles that I'm a part of, of like the OGs, right? The old school direct response marketers who had to like lick stamps and put them on envelopes. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and like you're basically buying a mailing list and you have no idea who's on them and where they go. And you've got to lick a stamp and write a letter and hope that when it goes, you know, someone's going to read it and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, Facebook is getting more difficult to operate on as it compared to call it five or seven years ago. But for some of the new school marketers who've been, you know, playing on the channel uh, and may not have been exposed to the greats that we've all learned from those guys, whether past or current, are kind of rolling over in their grave. Some of them thinking like these guys have it so, so, so easy. So just to put some perspective around the world we live in. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that that's awesome. No matter how hard it is, it's still a lot easier than it was a lot, you know, not that long ago. So given the fact that this is an industry, the Facebook ad space, that's in constant change and flux, how ought we be rethinking our strategy when it comes to Facebook ads? Yes. And I've always been an advent of this, but I believe that we need to rethink a couple things. So back, you know, when advertising first started on Facebook, it was a direct to sale play for most people. So Facebook was the advertising channel by which you put out a direct response ad. And for those who need a definition around that, that's essentially, hey, read this ad and take a very specific action that I can track, i.e. go buy my thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people approach Facebook that way. And for good reason, because for the most part, you could make that work, right? You could write an ad and say, go over to my page and buy these pair of shoes and the person would go over and buy the pair of shoes and you could acquire a customer at 25 to 50% the value of that customer and people would do that all day long. If I could acquire a customer for 50% of the value that that customer is worth to me, you know, we're rolling in it. Now, and not even now, I think for a few years, but I think we need to reevaluate the purpose of Facebook in our advertising or marketing strategy. So for one, and this is what I allude to a lot of my book and kind of this is what I built my entire business around, it's not seeing Facebook necessarily as an advertising channel for direct to sale, but an advertising channel by which one can generate a lead from. Because if you could generate a lead and and however you define a lead is however you define a lead. But let's say at bare minimum, it's a name and an email address, right? You've you've acquired someone who's raised up their hand and showed intent that they're interested in a particular topic matter. Once you've generated that lead, now you have multi-channels 
to be able to continue to correspond with that person moving into the 16, 22, and now 33 touch points, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think people need to reevaluate when they're thinking about Facebook, especially you know at the time we're having this conversation, is let's see Facebook as a channel not necessarily to generate sales, but as a place to generate leads. I think that is is one of the best places, one of the, the reframes that people should think. Because once you generate the lead, a lead, at least in my eyes, and this is in the words of Dean Jackson, so I won't take credit for this, but it's a lead is an appreciating asset over time. So a lead that comes into my world today is not going to be worth as much to me as a lead who's been in my world for a year from now, and then another year after that, another year after that, if I do my job well for nurturing that lead and taking good care of them and providing value. So I think that's one thing that people need to think about. So I'm assuming something you would do with that lead is perhaps put them on an email list and continue to provide them value over email. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, most definitely. And again, I can hear people already complain and say, well, email is not the best channel. Yeah, there is no best channel, but there are multi channels, right? And so if we can get someone onto an email list and maybe from that email list, we're sending them, you know, regular great value emails on the regular. But then let's say from that email list, we say, hey, well, I also have a podcast. So come listen to my podcast once a week. Got it. And then on the podcast, we say, well, don't forget, I also have a YouTube channel. And so they subscribe to the YouTube channel. And then, oh, don't forget, we also do these live events once a year that I'd love for you to come at and get surrounded by amazing people. I know someone that I might be talking to now who holds an amazing industry event. Like, But the point is, the idea is let's not focus on one channel of communication. Let's bring people off the Facebook platform and realize that through multi-channels, we can have more than 33 touch points to eventually warm that person up to a sale whenever they are ready, essentially. I love this because we were in a Facebook first, Facebook only world just sure. a few years ago, weren't we? Yeah. And rightfully so, because it was a channel that worked and everyone loved it. And everyone's like, why do email? Why do YouTube ads? Why do right. anything else? You know, like, let's make this the thing. And then I think what people are starting to realize now is that, yeah, Facebook is a great channel in the context of what it does. And again, for me, it's a great cost-effective way to get the right message in front of the right person at the right time in order to bring them into my my ecosystem. And my ecosystem is not just email. It's not just Facebook. It's every other social channel that I have. And I realize people consume content in different ways at different times of the day in different capacities. And so for me, and, and I'm fully guilty of this, was be like, well, I'm a Facebook only guy. That's my business. So why would I even bother on any other platform? Those are distractions. And then I soon realized, well, yeah, some not of my so people, much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that was just it. Like some of my people aren't on Facebook or if they are, they don't consume content. on. Like, well, a huge chunk know. of them right now are listening to us and they're not on Facebook right now while they're consuming this, right? Yeah. And I don't know too many people who actually consume long form content on Facebook. Like it's the wrong channel for that. Exactly. So, so most definitely to me, Facebook is a lead generator and that lead again could be email. And let's say we start there. It's an easy way to understand this. We Perfect. generate an email, we put them on our list and then we kind of bounce them around our ecosystem so that we're, we're constantly in front of them providing value in, in multi different ways on multi channels. Cool. So you said the first way we ought to rethink our strategy is that we ought to have Facebook as a way to generate leads. And you're about to go on to a second way before I took you down this trail. So feel free to go yeah. back to that. Second no, absolutely. Way. So two of three, um, just for context here, a little preceding two of three is understanding that Facebook is also a great complement 
to other channels we use to generate sales. And so, for example, how it used to go, speaking of how it used to be versus how it is now, how it used to go is we use Facebook, anyone who's in the lead generation world, let's say, we run an ad, we get someone onto an email list, and then once they're on our email list, it was like, okay, well, I am now going to use email to distribute whatever information I want to distribute. And let's say it's to sell a product, then let's put out three or four emails that say, hey, come look at my product. It's a great product. Come by. Mm -hmm. Which oh, was okay, except for the fact that email open rates are at an all-time low. Click-through rates are even lower than that. And so if you spend all this time, money, energy, effort to generate the lead itself – and then rely on a very poor channel and just one channel to then nurture them from lead to customer or client, that to me seems a little bit irresponsible. So for me, one of the great tools in our tool belt when it comes to using Facebook for other things is to use Facebook to supplement email. So one of our standard operating procedures within our business and amongst many of the people that we consult and we work with is what we call mirror campaigns, for example. And so a mirror campaign, it sounds like it's just kind of what it is. It's whatever you plan to send out, any core piece of content that is distributed via email, well, why not take that exact piece of content and put it in a Facebook ad and show it to a custom audience of your email list? So now you're not relying just on email to consume or to deliver that content, hoping your prospect consumes it. Now you have two channels by which you can deliver that content out to those people. And inevitably, what we end up seeing is email open rates go up. And my assumption can only be because they saw the ad and it reminded them to open the email. And the consumption rate goes up because now it's not just relying on email that sometimes misses an inbox or maybe gets lost in spam or maybe doesn't even get delivered because of technical issues. But now they're seeing it in their newsfeed. The information goes out to them. And the point here is seeing Facebook not just as a top of funnel tool, so someone to generate a sale or generate a, a lead on the front end, but also a middle of funnel and bottom of funnel tool, meaning when we're promoting sales messages to our list, well, why not use Facebook to do the same thing? When we're trying to quote unquote push someone through a funnel in the various stages of the funnel, why just rely on email when we can actually rely on Facebook to do the exact same thing? And this is where, you know, the whole like retargeting and, and various things like that come in. But we have tended to see now much higher conversion rates when we rely on Facebook as one of the channels, along with email and whatever else people are using to now push people further down the buyer's journey or the customer's journey to the point of sale. And again, just another simple way to reframe the use of Facebook rather than thinking, hey, come read my ad and buy my stuff. Okay, just so I'm clear. Are you taking the exact same message that you would have sent over email and sending it on Facebook to the same list that's receiving it over email or sending it to a cold audience? I'm just curious. Yeah. So in this case, it's the first. Okay. And the easiest way and the simple application of it is the exact same message you typed up in the email, copy and pasted it into an ad, and you're showing it exactly to and in front of the recipient who would have got it via email anyway. Got it. So like if you're sending one email a week, maybe you're just showing it for the 48 hour period of time or whatever. And it's just like another way to hit them up because maybe only 20%, if you're lucky, will open the email and you right. hope to hit the other 80%, right? Is that the idea? Right. And depending on how big your list is, I mean, sometimes what we generally do is we allow those to run for seven days because usually we'll send out an email once a week. Got it. So we'll let it go for seven days until the next one goes out just to ensure that it tries to reach as many of those people as possible. Huh. I love it. Okay. So you said this is two or three. What's the third? 
So the third one then is just the reframe here has to happen where the reason why we see more and more of the people that we work with try to or think about abandoning Facebook as a platform using the vernacular, well, it just doesn't work for me is because at one point five years ago, let's say they're selling a hundred dollar widget and they could acquire a customer for $50. Well, that math worked out for them all day long. So they'll say, if it costs me $50 to acquire a customer that's worth a hundred dollars for me, I'll do that all day long. But then over the years, what happened is 50 went to 75 and 75 went to 90 and 90 went to a hundred and a hundred went to 110. And now people are saying, well, hold on a second. I got a hundred dollar customer. I got a hundred dollar widget. You know, if I acquire a customer it's worth a hundred dollars to me short term, and it's not costing me $110 to acquire that customer. There's no way that I can market on Facebook game over. I'm moving platforms. Hmm. The reframe I believe has to happen where as business owners, we have to realize and maybe think about the fact that our front end offer to our marketplace or to our industry is not in fact a profit generator. But our front end offer to our marketplace is in fact what some might call just a self liquidator. So the idea is if I don't make profit on my front end sale of whatever I'm selling, that's okay because as a business owner, I realize that I have an LTV or a lifetime value of that customer, not just a single transaction value of that customer. And if I know that my lifetime value of a customer is five, six, seven hundred dollars, you know, over three, four, five years, then spending $110 to acquire that customer is actually great profit for me, except I have to exercise patience. I, as a business owner, have to think beyond single transaction, and I have to be prepared to treat customers well, to give them options to cross-sell and upsell and stay in my world and be a continuous customer. But I think it was Ryan Dice who probably said, or, or someone back then, that in the game of advertising, he who can afford to pay the most to acquire a customer wins. And most people, when they approach advertising, are saying, how can I acquire this customer for the cheapest amount as possible? Now, both are true. We, of course, we don't want to overspend to acquire a customer. But due to all the changes in Facebook that we've been talking about just at the beginning of our conversation where competition is high, trust level is low, 33 touch points before making a buying transaction, we do need to kind of shift our mind to thinking – Profit doesn't necessarily need to be made on the initial transaction. Here's where we as business owners now need to start to think post transaction. And that could be right in the midst of the transaction. So once they buy with things like order bumps and upsells and downsells and cross sells as they're going through a checkout process, which is great. Um, but it also means what are you doing as a business owner long-term to increase the lifetime value of that customer? And that's where the people are really going to win on Facebook is when they reframe and think about lifetime value rather than immediate transactional value. Have you had resistance with your clients? getting them to reframe their thinking and looking at lifetime value when so many of us are looking at cost per acquisition? 100%. Because we're trained in, especially in the direct response world anyways, to be like, well, I need to create a, a profitable transaction immediately. Right. Now, uh, an example though, however, is, and this just blew, so I was holding our one of our two-day intensives. One of the people in there, their primary product up front to the public market is a $7 offer. It's $7 for a seven-day trial 
of their sleep supplement, right? So it's seven little packets that you take before night, one a night before, and it's a seven day trial. So in the world of our old school direct response, that person would be saying, well, if I can't acquire a customer for under $7, I can't make my business work. In hindsight here now, in, in the bigger picture, this is an eight-figure business. They do very, very well. But what came out of his mouth that blew everybody away is every time I acquire one of those $7 customers for our free trial, we lose $5.23. Hmm. Now imagine that, and they're doing new customers by the thousands a, a, a week. So every single time they acquire a new customer, they are losing $5.23 because so that means they're paying it. about $12.23. Is that what I'm hearing Ex you say? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But they know that their one year value of a customer, so not even their lifetime value of a customer, they know their one year value of a customer is approximately like 40 some odd dollars essentially for their product. Now that's on average, not everybody stays and not everybody goes on an auto ship or whatever, right. but it's about 40 bucks. So to them to spend $12 to acquire a $40 customer, even though they don't see that $40 tomorrow, they'll see that over three, six and nine months. They'll do that all day long, in which they do. Now, of course, you have to balance your books and make sure you have enough cash flow to pay for the ads to acquire the customer to lose $5 every time. And on that note, Michael, we had a conversation with them to show them a way where they actually now break even. So we added a simple order bump to their checkout process, which now has them breaking even on every transaction, which in their volume ends up meaning millions of dollars extra. So that's a good thing. But the point is, just for people to hear their mentality of, wait a second, you lose money every time you bring on a customer was eye-opening for everybody else in the room. But when they broke it down, it started to settle and make sense. So do we get resistance a hundred percent? But until you start thinking about this in, in like the bigger picture of things, it'll be hard to grasp. But once you do, then it starts to make complete sense. Awesome. So we learned so far that you can use Facebook ads to generate leads. You can use them to supplement your email communications and you should consider reframing uh, cost per acquisition language into lifetime value language. Now that is all awesome. Now let's kind of talk strategy at a high level because I know there's a lot you have to add here. Like given all that information, how ought we put a strategy together to develop yeah. ads that work? Yeah, I love this. And so the reality is how do we take all those realities, all these reframes, coupled with the fact that we place every prospect into one of three categories. And what I mean by that is just for the sake of easy language, call them fast, medium, and slow. Certain percentage of our prospects will transact with us very quickly within the first couple of touch points, a small percentage, but there is a percentage of them. Some of our prospects will need, we'll call them medium speeders, if you will, people who need a few touch points, you know, yeah, let's call it, you know, seven to 12 touch points before they make a buying decision. This is where the traditional internet marketing funnel was invented for. And then other people need a lot of nurturing, you know, up to two years of nurturing before they transact. So knowing the three reframes we just talked about and knowing that every prospect falls into one of three categories, again, for the sake of easy to remember language, we call them fast, medium, and slow. What we have come up with from a strategy standpoint, we call capture, consume, and convert, right? So first, it's this idea of capture. It's if you had to think about your prospect, what we really mean is capture a lead here. If we were to think about our ideal prospect, rather than trying to get them to pull the trigger right away and purchase something, let's follow Cialdini's influence idea of micro commitments. How do we get them to say yes to something small 
to earn their trust, to provide value, to earn the right to even ask for a transaction. How do we do that? And I'm going to suggest, again, it's a lead generation play through what I would call or what the industry calls like a lead magnet. Now, a lot of people call it different things, but in short, I would say a one to three page downloadable PDF that has exceptional value and is insight over information. So what I mean by that is not just, hey, here's a bunch of information that you didn't know you knew, which they could probably have gotten on Google somewhere, but insight is strategic and applicable content that someone can execute in order to get one step closer to their desired outcome. Are you using uh, lead ads and are you delivering the PDF like right there in Facebook or are you sending it through the email to confirm the email? Do you understand what I'm asking? Yes, 100%. I love this question. And so we tested lead ads and we don't like them as much only because the cost per lead is extremely low when you use lead ads. And for those who don't know what that is, that simply means Facebook pops up a little thing and you can pre-enter the information that they pull from Facebook to hit the thing and get the PDF that they're looking for. We did that at first. And what we noticed was lead cost was extra low, but so are conversions. Mm. And I think the reason for that was because there's just not enough buy-in, right? When people are not necessarily thinking through what they're doing, but they just got to push a button, sometimes that works against us because We've had people even on the tail end of the lead ad be like, I didn't ask for this. Mm. Well, clearly you did, but they didn't even know because they're just in a button pushing hungry kind right. of society. <laughs> so in our world, we do like to bring them to a separate page that requires them to actually fill out their information and hit a button and deliver it via email. That tends to work better on our side. And I would imagine if they don't fill out the form, you can remark it to them, right? Because you've got a pixel on that page, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And we realize that again. Like in these days, a good opt-in rate is maybe 33%. Like that's our benchmark where we say if you're getting anything less than one-third of the people opting into your offer, uh, something's wrong somewhere. But when I hear 33%, I'm also hearing like 66% are not taking the action. And so they were clearly interested. If they weren't, they wouldn't have clicked on my ad for goodness sake. So let's realize there was intent there, but maybe they just didn't like something about the page or they didn't like the offer. Or they didn't like what it was called or whatever. So most definitely one should be considering retargeting them as very hot prospects because they took the effort to read the ad, click the ad, come over to the page, just not take that next step with us. Assuming the page is a very simple page, maybe with no video, just some a paragraph of text and maybe an image and then a couple forms. Is that what it looks like typically? Yeah. So for the most part, uh, there, you know, there's a couple of elements that make up a good page, but one I would say is an image of the thing that they're getting. So right. it, it is a two page PDF or three page PDF, whatever it be, but there's something about like in, in the mind when they can get a visual of that thing, even though they're never going to get the thing that right. way, right. an image of the thing does well, a simple headline and simple headline formula for those who, who want to apply this right away is one that I'm, my favorite is how to X without Y. So you could see how to X is what they want without Y, the thing they're trying to avoid so that they can Z is the ultimate benefit. So if right. this were the weight loss world, it might be how to lose 10 pounds in 10 days without exercise so that you can fit into your skinny jeans for your high school reunion, right? It's a <laughs> I great, love it. I love it. Great, great how to X without Y. So like a great headline, a great image, a couple of bullet points and a form ultimately. Perfect. Um, now, if you could throw in some social proof and some extra, that helps, but that's, that's just bonus, if you will. Cool. So um, keep going. Yeah. So again, the first objective here is to capture. It's come up with a great piece of information where you can capture the lead. Again, we're talking baby steps here. We're allowing people to stick their toe in the water before diving in. It's the equivalent of asking for a phone number rather than trying to take someone to bed on their first encounter with you. And 
you know, as far as I've heard, you try to go too fast, too quick, it could end up with a slap in the face and a ruined reputation. And that's not what we want in the internet world. We want people to appreciate and value us and, and speak highly of us rather than the opposite. So there's enough of that. So phase one, like we're talking about in the reframe here is let's capture the lead and bring them into our world and then put them on multi-channel so we can get that information out to them. For what it's worth, you could do this on the other social platforms too, right? You don't have to just do this on Facebook, right? Absolutely. Now we, we tend to favor Facebook cause we've been playing on that space for forever, but no matter what the platform, you could do it on a podcast. You could do it on anything. Again, right. you're essentially at the end of any piece of content saying, Hey, would you like this thing? If so, come over here and get it. You know, that in sense is, is a lead capture. Perfect. Okay. So we're going to talk about consume next. Yes. And so the second thing is consume, of course. Now, this is the realization that, again, three speeds of people who take action. So uh, someone in a fast kind of action place, right after you capture the lead, it's not a bad idea to say, well, if you're really interested in what you're inquiring about, we've got this thing over here that you might want to look into. Now, again, that's a very simplified way to put it. But if you make a very light, non-aggressive offer to people who've just opted into something, a small percentage of the people who are ready to take action right now say yes to it, which is a great thing, right? But the reality is majority of the people will not want to take an action right away. So what do we do with them? You're talking, about, you're talking about selling something right now, just to be clear, right? Is that what you're Correct. talking about? Okay, Correct. Good. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, but not doing it in a super aggressive, like buy now or die, you right. know, like, right. you know, these aggressive, we're just saying, hey, if you just opted in for this weight loss thing, for the sake of keeping the example true, if you just opted in for this weight loss thing, you know, we do have this, this course over here that might be of interest to you. Uh, if it is, just go check it out and you can pick it up today. Like that's essentially what we're saying. And again, the fast action takers would be like, I'm in, no problem. The medium action takers are like, mm, not yet. So here's where we then enter into the consume phase. And the consume phase is how then do we get valuable, insightful content And I call this kind of like milestone content. So if everyone were to picture your industry and your prospect at the base of a mountain and the peak of the mountain is where they want to get to, this is their overall dream goal. It's like, I want to get there. That's me in a bikini or that's wherever I want to be. And they're at the base of the mountain. As they begin to climb, there are certain milestones. There are certain landmarks that once they hit, they're like, wow, I feel good about my progress. So you as a business owner, I would suggest to now think through what are the milestones that someone would need to hit en route to their journey of accomplishing X. And whatever that is should be the framework of the content you now produce. Because if you can help people hit milestones for free without charging them anything for it, just because they're on your list and this is the value that you provide, with every milestone that is hit, psychologically, that person is saying, hey, that Michael's a great guy. B, no one else was able to help me except Michael. And so when I need to be thinking about my next steps, I'm usually coming to Michael and I'm going to ask, hey, Michael, what's next, right? So the consume phase is how do we use ads and email and podcasts and books and whatever other channels we're on, written content, to deliver milestone content to this new lead. And again, without being aggressive, without being heavy with our sales, and you could think about this in the form of a funnel, if you will. Maybe there's webinars that you want to put people on. Maybe there's a three-part video series. Maybe it's bringing them to an event, whatever it is. You just want to be thinking about what is milestone content that I can get in front 
of my ideal prospect and get them to consume that content. And again, here's a great time where you could use Facebook ads to use our mirror strategy. So anytime an email goes out, use Facebook ads to get that exact same content out to the prospect so they could consume it. They can build trust in you. And more importantly, they can build trust in themselves so that when they are ready to make a buying decision, there's much less resistance because you've done the hard work about providing value, overcoming objections, building trust and authority and credibility along the way. So that's what we suggest on the consume side of things. And I'm glad you said overcoming objections because I would imagine with any big decision someone makes in their life, there's some decisions they have to make before they step into that big decision, right? So for example, uh, I know Amy Porterfield does this for a lot of her helping people create courses, right? She's figured out what all those objections are and she's created a lot of free content that addresses those objections. So people are prepared to be ready to buy the big product. And I would imagine that's exactly what you could do in this consume phase, right? Absolutely. And so when we're thinking consume phase, we're thinking milestone content, most definitely anything that can help move the needle for someone, and then definitely overcoming objections. One of my favorite ways to overcome objections is um, like case study-based narratives of people who had the major objection that you're overcoming. And this way, you don't have to be direct with your overcoming objection. You don't have to be like, hey, Michael, I know you might be thinking that Facebook ads are not right for you, so let me tell you why they are. Versus, hey, let me introduce you to my friend Tom. You know, when Tom and I first met, he had just spent $80,000 on ads, true story, and made $0 in return. So wow. frankly, he was a little upset about the whole Facebook thing when he came to me and he told me straight up, Nick, and he swore at me, I won't swear on the podcast here, but he swore at me and he said, Nick, you know, Facebook ads bloody don't work, essentially. <laughs> like, granted. And I dove deeper into the situation. And again, I'm not going to tell this story now, but we identified what the actual problem was. We fixed the problem. And now he's my greatest case study for the highest ROI that I have ever received or gotten for somebody, which was over 30,000%. Wow. But now, if I went deep into telling his story from a case study perspective, anybody who had doubts about, oh, well, Facebook ads doesn't work for me, overcame those doubts, not because I told them, but because we told them, you know, Tom's story, for example. Love it. Yeah. It's a awesome. great way to, to, to overcome objections. Perfect. So we talked about capture. We talked about consume. How long does the consume phase last? Is it, I mean, if this is a pie chart, is that, is that, question. Yeah, is that a big part yeah. of it? Talk to me. So anywhere from one hour to two years. Wow. Um, That's a huge range, man. (laughs) But here's here's why I say that. So there's a consumer study right now that says 50% of the people who inquire about a thing end up buying the thing within two years. If a couple goes to a store and they're looking at a washer and a dryer, if 100 couples did that, 50 of those couples will actually end up buying a washer and dryer within two years. Now, it doesn't mean they'll buy it from the original source they inquired from, but it means they'll buy the very thing. And here's where our people really need to get this, Michael. And I mean, our people, like the people in our world. Yeah. Of that 50% who end up buying the thing, 15% of the 50% end up transacting between day zero and day 90. 85% of them end up transacting between day 91 and two years. And most people have already abandoned by day 90 uh, marketers, by, right? By day, by day eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if, if you look at our world, people are like, oh, they didn't convert it. My four-day funnel oh, must be a dead lead. No, you ain't even gotten started with them, right? Huh, that's and fascinating. So, how much is being left on the table now of people who have abandoned what they're now titling dead leads when they are perfect prospects and friends, they're just buying from your competitors now? 
It's not that they would have never bought. They're just buying from someone else because so you gave up on them. So we need to think way longer term than what we're currently thinking is what you're saying. I, I, yeah. Then that's why I say when you say consumption, I mean literally people can buy within an hour, but other people will buy up to two years. Now anything over two years, you know, so be it. But I do this all the time. If I'm speaking in front of a group or I'm holding my mastermind or something, I ask our newest members, how long have you been in my world before you made this buying decision? And on average, Michael, it's two to three years. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so that's amazing. Crazy. Cool. All right. Convert. Talk to me about that. So, and you know, at some point I believe we need to be making offers, obviously no offer, no sale, but how do we do it in a way that again is not too aggressive and doesn't off put anybody. And I think there's a couple ways we can do this convert thing. One could be in the form of sales or promos, right? So there's a reason why black Friday is the highest transactional economic movement in retail uh, ever. And that's because everybody knows come black Friday or cyber Monday, things go on sale. In fact, depending on what time of the year that you're listening to this conversation, you should be planning three months out what naturally tends to happen on the Facebook. They're listening platform. to this a couple of weeks before Black Friday if they just downloaded the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, then you might be too late to take action on this. But the point is we what we notice in trends wise is approximately like eight to 12 weeks before Black Friday, buying behavior goes down. Oh, so all the ads stop working. And why? Because they're adding it to their cart, but they know in two months from now, they're going to be able to get it on sale. So even my wife to this day, and and we're recording this in October, my wife is like, Hey babe, I want this, you know, for black Friday, but don't buy it until then. Now my impulse, I'm a fast taker. I'm just like, I'm going to buy it now. I don't care. But she's like, no, no, no. When black Friday comes around, come get it then. So now the mindset is converting into this idea of don't buy yet because a sale is about to come. So Mm. Don't worry about your ads. If they are not converting as well, there is a reason you push hard and push hard on, on your prospecting ads right now, because when you start getting close to black Friday, you switch that over into your retargeting ads. And all those people who have been waiting to buy your thing are about to buy, just stay in front of them. That was kind of a side tangent. there. Yeah. But but the key message here is that whether it's black Friday or not, people like a sale is what I'm hearing you say. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So one of the ways that we do conversion is sales, right? Obviously when you host a sale and it could be, Hey, and you see people do this all the time. Hey, it's my birthday sale. Hey, it's our company's anniversary sale. Or maybe it's because like, maybe in your case, Michael, when a live event is around the corner, that's cause it's an event right? and people know once a year an event happens. And so that's when conversions happen. But the other way that I like to do it is again, I got to give credit where credit due. But it's utilizing what Dean Jackson calls a super signature. So I've now termed this the Dean Jackson super signature. But essentially on every correspondence that goes out throughout the year. So this is non-sales times. These are non-event times. These are during the everyday flow of your business where you're providing value to your clients or customers or prospects. The Dean Jackson super signature, again, and he calls it a super signature because he's a big email guy. And it says PS. And I love this. He goes, At the end of every correspondence, you end by saying this, P.S., whenever you are ready, these are the one, two, or three ways that I can best help you, right? So in his case, when he said these are the three best ways I can help you, resource one is a free thing, resource two is a low ticket thing, and resource three is a high ticket thing. Now, maybe you don't have a low ticket or free and a a high ticket thing. Maybe you just offer the main thing that you do. So yours could be, you know, hey, whenever you're ready, the best way I can help you is get this thing. And it's an amazing thing that happens, Michael. Now, every time I send an email, which is once a week, sales are made. 
because whenever they are ready, and it just so happened that that time they read that email, they were ready, they decided to transact with me. And some of these people have been on my list for years, some of these people only months, some of these people only days. But as Dean Jackson also says, he's, oh, there's only two times that people transact, now and not now. <laughs> so if they're not transacting now, it just means they're not now, but now will eventually come. And so we want to constantly present a very light, non-aggressive way to say, hey, whenever you're ready, assuming I'm always ready to help you, but whenever you're ready, this is the best way I can help you. So now we got sales and promos and events and like you know, when I say events, it doesn't need to be live events, but like an event that your company has come up with that like fill the gaps of let's say quarterly sales where you drive hard quote unquote conversions. Cause we've talked about capture consume now we're on convert or throughout those gaps. If you add a Dean Jackson super signature at the bottom of every correspondence, and I take this farther than just email. Anytime I do a video, anytime I do a blog post, anytime I do anything, I always end the same way. Whenever you're ready, this is the best way I can help you. That begins to drive sales from people who are not now who've converted into now and are ready to transact with you. So this is just a simple way to again, create conversions without being overly aggressive with what we know as, you know, hard sales. Awesome. Nicholas, this has been solid gold. If people want to follow up with you, track you, where would you want to send them? Oh, well, uh, geez, there's so many different ways, but I think the, the greatest thing that we can help people with is nicholaskuzmich.com slash the council. You know, I believe information is good, but I believe access is even better. And what I mean by that is you can get all information you want, but unless you have a community of people like myself and others who can help you like implement the stuff, oftentimes people are kind of left stranded on their path. So the council is our way of helping people with that. And again, all my information is Nicholas Kuzmich, you know, slash Nicholas Kuzmich on any social channel as well. And that's spelled K-U-S-M-I-C-H. Correct. Yes. Not the most brandable name in the world. <laughs> but hey, you don't have a lot of competition either, do you? <laughs> that's true. I am the only Nicholas Kuzmich on Facebook. So that's the that's the positive thing. If you can spell awesome. it right, it's easy to find. Nicholas, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and insight. I know that I've got lots of notes and we're all brighter off as a result of it. Uh, Michael, the pleasure is always mine. I, I appreciate for uh, all the things you do for our industry. So thanks for shining your light so bright. Also, if there's anything we mentioned, we take all the notes for you. You can get to our notes by visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash 380. New to the podcast? Hit that subscribe button. Regular listener would love a rating and or a review. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.